Chapter 9 of The Comic History of England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Karen Savage, Waco, Texas, June 2007, in honor of Jim Mowat's completion of his university degree. The Comic History of England by Bill Nye. Chapter 9 The Feudal System. Successful Inauguration of Homogeneal Methods for Restricting Incompatible Demagogues. At this time, under the reign of William, a year previous to his death, an inventory was taken of the real estate and personal property contained in the several counties of England, and this doomsday book, as it was called, formed the basis for subsequent taxation, etc. There were then three hundred thousand families in England. The book had a limited circulation, owing to the fact that it was made by hand, but in 1783 it was printed. William the Second, surnamed Rufus the Red, the auburn-haired son of the king, took possession of everything, especially the treasure, before his father was fully deceased, and by fair promises solidified the left wing of the royal party, compelling the disaffected Norman barons to fly to France. William the Second and Robert, his brother, came to blows over a small rebellion organized by the latter, but Robert yielded at last, and joined William with a view to making it hot for Henry, who, being a younger brother, objected to wearing the king's cast-off reigning clothes. He was at last forced to submit, however, and the three brothers gaily attacked Malcolm, the Scotch malcontent, who was compelled to yield, and thus Cumberland became English ground. This was in 1091. Illustration. William II takes possession of the royal trunk and secures the crown. In 1096 the crusade was creating much talk, and Robert, who had expressed a desire to lead a totally different life, determined to go if money could be raised. Therefore William proceeded to levy on everything that could be realized upon, such as gold and silver communion services and other bric-a-brac, and free coinage was then first inaugurated. The king became so greedy that on the death of the Archbishop of Canterbury he made himself ex officio archbishop, so that he might handle the offerings and coin the plate. When William was ill he sent for Father Anselm, but when he got well he took back all his sweet promises, in every way reminding one of the justly celebrated policy pursued by his sulfurious highness the devil. The capture of Jerusalem by the Crusaders very naturally attracted the attention of other ambitious princes who wished also to capture it, and William, Prince of Guienne, mortgaged his principality to England that he might raise money to do this. But when about to embark for the purpose of taking possession of this property, William the Second, the royal note-shaper, while hunting, was shot accidentally by a companion, or assassinated, it is not yet known which, and when found by a passing charcoal-burner, was in a dead state. He was buried in 1100 at Winchester. Illustration Rufus found dead in the forest by a poor charcoal-burner. Rufus had no trouble in securing the public approval of his death. He was the third of his race to perish in the new forest, the scene of the conqueror's cruelty to his people. He was a thick-set man with a red face, a debauchee of the deepest dye, mean in money matters, and as full of rum and mendacity as Sittingbull, the former regent of the Sioux nation. He died at the age of forty-three years, having reigned and cut up in a shameful manner for thirteen years. Robert having gone to the Holy Land, Henry I was crowned at Westminster. He was educated to a higher degree than William, and knew the multiplication table up to seven times seven, but he was highly immoral, and an armed chaperon stood between him and common decency. He also made rapid strides as a liar, and even his own grocer would not trust him. He successfully fainted when he heard of his son's death, 1120 A.D. His reign closed in 1135, when Stephen, a grandson of the Conqueror, with the aid of a shoehorn, assumed the crown of England, and placing a large damp towel in it, proceeded to reign. He began at once to swap patronage for kind words, and every noble was as ignoble as a phenomenal thirst and unbridled lust could make him. 
Every farm had a stone jail on it, in charge of a noble jailer. Feudal castles full of malaria and surrounded by insanitary moats and poor plumbing echoed the cry of the captive and the bacchanalian song of the noble. The country was made desolate by duly authorized robbers who, under the crusader's standard, prevented the maturity of the spring chicken and hushed the still small voice of the roast pig in death. Illustration. Henry fainted when he heard the sad news. William the Conqueror was not only remembered bitterly in the broken hearts of his people, but in history his name will stand out forever because of his strange and grotesque designs on posterity. In 1141 Stephen was made prisoner, and for five years he was not restored to his kingdom. In the meantime Matilda, the widow of Henry I, encouraged by the prelates, landed in England to lay claim to the throne and after a great deal of ill-feeling and much-needed assassination, her son, Henry, who had become quite a large property-owner in France, invaded England, and finally succeeded in obtaining recognition as the rightful successor of Stephen. Stephen died in 1153, and Henry became king. Illustration. Matilda landing in England. The feudal system, which obtained in England for four hundred years, was a good one for military purposes, for the king on short notice might raise an army by calling on the barons, who levied on their vassals, and they in turn levied on their dependents. A feudal castle was generally built in the Norman style of architecture. It had a donjon, or keep, which was generally occupied by the baron as a bar-room, feed-trough, and cooler between fights. It was built of stone, and was lighted by means of crevices through the wall by day, and by means of a saucer of tallow and a string or rush which burned during the night, and served mainly to show how dark it was. There was a front-yard or fighting-place around this, surrounded by a high wall, and this again by a moat. There was an inner court back of the castle, into which the baron could go for thinking. A chapel was connected with the institution, and this was the place to which he retired for the purpose of putting Arnica on his conscience. Underneath the castle was a large dungeon, where people who differed with the baron had a studio. Sometimes they did not get out at all, but died there in their sins, while the baron had all the light of gospel and chapel privileges upstairs. The historian says that at the time the most numerous class in England were the villains. This need not surprise us when we remember that it was as much as a man's life was worth to be anything else. There were also twenty-five thousand serfs. A serf was required to be at hand night or day when the baron needed someone to kick. He was generally attached to the realty, like a hornet's nest, but not necessary to it. In the following chapter knighthood and the early hardware trade will be touched upon. Illustration. In hoc signo vinces. End of chapter 9